Welcome to episode 900 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 900. 900, Nine. nice round number. We've probably done close to a thousand. You reckon? Yeah, that's, because that's, that's, that's a that's a generous roundup. No, because <laughs> every time we've done Kona shows, yeah, because we didn't number those, yeah, and then a few epic camps, a few more, yeah, epic camps, an extra hundred, handy. That's that's a nice roundup. Yeah, I, I might try to do some research on that. <laughs> yeah, but would it? Well, be. It won't be far away, I don't think. Okay. Uh, I'm talking proudly brought to you by... Our wicked patrons. We've got Lee, 20 Eyes Sport. Ross, give a lot, little. And we've got Joel Sensei Bell. In this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a hot topic of the week. Uh, we've got an interview. We have. Um, we are talking to Joanne Murray. Oh. No, Joanne Murphy. Murphy. See, I had her name written down incorrectly before, and I was like, glad I didn't mention that when we were about to do the interview, and then I've cocked it up here. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. that's how we roll. Joanne Murphy, and uh, she was the lead MC or race announcer at Ironman World Champs. Got a fantastic Irish voice. Uh, Lovely she did a person. Great job over there. And so we're going to talk to her about uh, her path to Kona and the whole Kona experience. Uh, we got pro, are we going to do Pro of the Week? We'll do Pro of the Week. I get Pro of the Week. And then we've got uh, wingers and questions and answers at the end. So not much is happening in the moment in the racing, but we did have a pretty cool weekend for us Kiwis because we had the Melbourne 70.3 and the Kiwis. Went over there and spanked the yeah, Aussies. Yeah, yeah, too. Hey, Wild doing a half. That's good to see. It is good to see. He was trying to qualify and did qualify for the 70.3 World Champs, which are next year in New Zealand and Topor. Now, that's really interesting because he won't be doing Kona. No way. No, 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 no way, Jose. So we have the Olympics before that. Mm-hmm. Which, when are the Olympics? August? No, July. Uh, end of July, start of August. So he's going to be a good contender for this race. Should be, based off this performance. Yeah. He's done... A couple of halves before he's done. And he did the he did the PTO. Yeah, which he did, didn't really perform. He didn't in. perform very well there, and he did Torpor seventy point three. It was a few years ago, and didn't didn't win that. He did okay, but certainly uh, it was a dojo domination against um, some pretty decent athletes. You had Stephen McKenna there, who's who finished in third place, and Matt Burton, both um, pretty solid athletes. But he absolutely spanked it, led out of the swim, fastest swim, fastest bike, fastest run, ran a one oh eight oh one. And uh, what's that, the course like there? Um, Pretty flat, wouldn't it? Where was it? Melbourne, I've got no idea, but I'd imagine so. Swim did get shortened because of conditions, um, so they did, I think it sounds like they were a bit lucky to have a, have a swim of any description, but to win by eight minutes on a course when it's only taking you three hours, 19 minutes is pretty emphatic. So yeah, yeah it could be a contender because as Bevan rightly pointed out, um, he'll have plenty of time for prep for it. Kind of works for him, doesn't it? Because the Olympics are going to be his focus from here forward. Mm. Um, but that finishes early enough that he might go, you know what, I want to try winning the 70.3 champs. A lot of people aren't going to turn up because Kona is for the men's next year. It's quite late. Yeah. Uh, Kona is, tw- I think it's 25th of October. And the world's are going to be when? The, uh, be in November at some stage. So there's enough time to recover, but it makes the season very, very long. Yeah. Um, and it really drags into your winter. So I think you'll get those real specialists still doing it, I would imagine. Yeah. But the depth might not be there. And the ones who maybe didn't have a great Kona mm. will be there. But 
Hayden's of a pedigree, isn't he? Yes. So that, that was cool to see him win. And Amelia Watkinson, also a Kiwi, took out the females race in very different fashion. She uh, got a bit spanked in the swim, um, but she did have the fastest bike ride. But it wasn't until the run until she managed to get into the lead. Uh, and it was a much closer race. Uh, she had to overhaul Natalie Van Coverden and uh, Lottie Wilms on the run. But she did that, winning by around about 40 seconds. Um, so good on her. She's had a, you know, uh, where is she currently ranked in the PTO? rankings uh, her swim is number 64 her bike is 18th and her run is 11th so good comeback what sort of season she had so far this year she had one there she got second in Lankawi she got eighth at the world 70.3 champs uh, she won in Taiwan half earlier in the year um, finished sixth at the PTO Asian Open so um Good on Amelia Watkinson for taking that one out. So when you were doing that there, I was just thinking, has Hayden Yee done a 70.3? Alex, Alex, sorry, Alex Yee. Uh, based on the PTO website... Don't know, a, I've never seen him do that. Yeah, one. no, there hasn't been a result in a, in a, in a half. There's, they don't have all the results for um, World Triathlon Series on the site, but there doesn't seem to have been a half. How do you reckon he'd go to half? Uh, probably do all right. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure he'd do fine. Um, Hayden Wilde is regarded as a bit of a weapon on the bike. Alex G's certainly become good on the bike, so I'm sure he'd do he'd do he'd do well. But you say Hayden, if you're betting, you'd say Hayden would be. If they were going into a half Ironman, I'd put my money on Hayden Wilde. Now, who would you say would be the best half Ironman in the world if Hayden was in the race? Um, Do you still say? Well, you see the usual Blumenfeld, Gustav Eden, when if he's, if he's back on form. Um, so no, it should be a really good race. You know, if he was going up against Gustav Eden, they're pretty evenly matched. You know, both a little bit weak in the swim, um, both pretty good on the bike, and both doesn't matter so much in a half, but does it? If you're not so good in the swim, well, the the the, the, the short course guys are. Good bad, I, yeah. a, a bad at short course or average at short course generally are still pretty good at half iron distance swimming and, and not usually and, good and, and, and Gustav's going to be racing Kona we'd imagine after the Olympics you'd assume so if he makes the Olympics yeah well either way he's going to be mm. in Kona so yeah, it makes for a really interesting 70.3 world champs next year so that's something to look forward to as we move to 2024 okay so the other thing that we had around racing is we've got some coming up races Ironman Cozumel is coming up it is, and it's a swan song for Sebastian Keenlay. So he's doing his whole series on um, video series on his sort of final year of racing. So he'll be saying sayonara to that. Uh, he's only ranked eighth in this particular race. Denny Chevro, Leon Chevalier, and Robert Wilkowicki are the top three ranked athletes. Uh, so yeah, we'll see if Sebastian Keenlay can go out on top or not. Um, but it, regardless, it is his final race. If Torsten's predictions on tryrating.com are accurate. It's going to be eight seconds between Dennis Chevro and Leon Chevalier. Both of those guys uh, are pretty strong on the run. It's pretty cool what Kenley's done, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah, like not many athletes, you know, to be honest, other than like Fredino at the end of the World Championships, they just kind of disappear, don't they? Mm-hmm. You know, you might hear they've retired, but Kenley's actually kind of gone out in a really cool way, mm. a, making the social media experience a part of it, so, you know, people have been involved. Um, but also, it's this kind of, what a cool way to song, nice one song out. It is. He hasn't been at the top of his game this year. He's had some good performances. But he's, 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 he's an older athlete. Old, older athlete. Yeah. Um, on the female side down there, um, Gritz Frolds Lalde from Espana, is the top seed, Kylie Simpson, Ruth Astle, Svenja Thos, and Marlene De Boer are racing. So it is 
uh, three Kona slots or three World Championship slots. We've got to keep calling them now. $75,000 US prize money. Um, so yeah, we're getting towards the end of the season. Not much to go. There's Ironman Western Australia coming up as well. But a lot of the athletes have uh, called time on the season. So... The US team selection is no clearer as Gwen Gwen Jorgensen finishes with another gold medal in a World Cup race. Mm -hmm. So she's she's proving me wrong. I I wasn't backing her. No, nor was I. Um, But there's a twist with this one. Oh, there's a twist. (laughs) Because I mentioned last week I was really looking forward to seeing the Katie Zaveris versus Gwen Jorgensen showdown because the Americans for their females team... I would not want to be picking it. There's probably five athletes, four to five athletes going for two slots, and you could very easily they don't have three argue. Slots. They've got one's already gone though. Taylor's oh, already okay. got one. Of course. Yep. You could argue a case very strongly for each one of them getting getting a particular slot. Um, Gwen Jorgensen's the the athlete on the the rise, but but this was the sprint distance World Cup race, and but there's controversy, Bevan. Now sprint distance is good because she wants to be in a team, which is sprint distance. Yeah, but I think she's going to have to be. You kind of got to be in both. Um, oh, do you? So, okay. She, so what happened in this race, a little breakaway got away on the bike and Gwen Jorgensen wasn't part of it, she just missed it and so going into the run there was a small gap um, uh, heading into the run, Katie Zaveris was in that in that front group, she managed to hold on to cross the finish line in first place, um, Gwen Jorgensen was only, I think it was 8 seconds behind in third. So ran down well. Um, ran well but didn't quite get to the front of the race, but then they disqualified uh, four people and because uh, they went a slightly wrong way on the run. When they were coming through transition on the run course, I assume it must have been two laps, you were supposed to go around the transition area and sort of down past the finishing chute, and it sounds like they went straight. I didn't see the coverage. And was it, did it shorten the course? or Irrespective of whether it shortened it okay, or not. It, um, it was an, a mistake, and if you don't complete the correct course, you've got to be disqualified, yep. so it was like, uh, so this is happened. the headline doesn't really tell the whole story. Not at all. And so if anything, it doesn't make Gwen look good. It makes Katie look better. Well, at the same time, they're so close. Like if if the result had stood, um, Gwen Jorgensen would have been eight, uh, third and would have been eight seconds to Katie Zavera. So yeah, she beat her, but there's only eight seconds in it. So it's, it hasn't really helped the selection criteria. When, at all, when do think. they have to make it by? I don't know. Got no idea. What would you do? Um, I think I said that a couple of weeks ago. So if I say, I'm probably going to contradict myself if I say <laughs> but uh, I've set you up to fail. Yeah, but it's just going to be really tricky. Very tricky. Especially for someone like Taylor Spivey who missed out last time and there's a reasonable chance she's going to miss out again despite being probably the most consistent performer out of the entire team. So uh, it's going to be interesting. Lots of these team selections next year are going to be very interesting. More so on the female side than the men's. Do you, do you kind of go, this is a, a strange theory, but when's won it before? If they're both even, you give it to the kid who hasn't hit it. Um, no, no, you don't. <laughs> you no. just go whoever's going to. But if they're both even. Yeah, you, you, I think it's going to boil, boil down to who's going to be the best for the mixed team relay. Um, and I think that's probably Katie Zaveris, possibly. Hard to know. Hard to because know. if you get three athletes in, only two can go in a mixed team relay. So Correct. it would be it would be Taylor Nib and one other, and then you've just got to think who is going to fill that role best. Because whoever they pick for the rest of their selections, they they might get a medal, but they'd be an outside chance for an individual medal. Um, but for a real mixed relay team, they've got a you know they've got a better chance. Their boy, their boys aren't that strong, unfortunately. Well, fortunately for the rest of us, <laughs> who's the dominant team right now? Is it the Frenchies? Frenchies. Frenchies will dominate along with the, the Brits, but um, the Americans, you've got 
they'll have two very good females. Okay, hot topic of the week. We were talking about technology last week. Well, other than a smart trainer or power meter, what has been the best tech you've purchased over the last period of time? Some uh, people did not read the question. Yeah, they just came in, oh, I got the smart trainer and that was the best thing. Oh, I got a power meter. Excluding. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, team. Okay, got to do better. You've okay, got to do Good old better. John Hancock. Scott, Scott Molina once said the iPod was the most important tech innovations for triathlon training certainly was true for me and then Melina came and said I'm still hoping to find a good audio device for swimming have you tried them I've tried I have one. not tried them but there's a couple other comments in here with, with swimming ones so we'll mention them uh, Darren Leslie says progressive photochromic sunglasses and prescription swim goggles so I can actually see my Garmin 265 so I agree uh, if you can get some really good photochromic uh, sunglasses man they are Awesome. What do you mean? They're just a bit of uh, they do so they change light. You know, if you come in, you can just wear your sunglasses oh, into the okay. room, um, change light, and then when you go outside, they'll they'll change again. Yeah. And when you actually look at them, it's just, they're amazing. Like they're completely clear when you come inside. Really? Go outside, and they're like really dark tinted. Wow. So, Fascinating technology. Scott Horns has got the Essex Metaspeed shoe, uh, although I've just started Rovi and I'm hooked, but um, yeah, I'm not quite sure what that is. Rovi, it's a bike cycle. No, the Metaspeed. Oh, it's a running shoe. Is it, is it like the... It's a, just a plated okay. you know, yeah, um, what, running what shoe. Doing. A lot of people have commented on here in terms of the Garmin um, Varia radar um, and the Garmin front So what's light. this? So that will alert you to when cars are coming up behind you. Oh, so okay. you get a bit of a warming so you can kind of brace or just pull over a little bit more. Um, so yeah, good, Declan yeah, von Dreit said that this is increased safety from the rear and the auto turn on off and adjustment for lights is one of the less one less thing to think about. Oh, it's one you know has got uh, the the shuffle was revolutionary both size and price. Mm-hmm. They stopped doing the shuffle, which is a bugger. Mm-hmm. So Helen Anderson, uh, she's uh, replied to Scott Molina, who was on here, saying um, he's still hoping to find a good swimming audio device. She says the shocks open water swim. Uh, open swim aren't bad. Um, wish there was a Bluetooth version so I didn't have to load music, podcasts, etc. Yeah, I suppose you could just do it. Christine McKinley, the grinder, has got uh, Bluetooth headphones. Nice. Yeah, which is true. And then uh, Rob Dallymore has got a stride, the stride. See, they've oh, yeah. released the double pod now. Right. It's yeah. 400 bucks US. Fuck mm. that. <laughs> but, but, um, so, because we bought them originally when they came out, didn't we? I've got mine, I've never used it. Yep. Yeah. And did you, do you use it? No. Why not? Um, I just didn't. But you love it for power for training. Yeah, no, it's uh, I find pace and heart rate perfectly acceptable. If, if I was racing in the hills, and I've probably mentioned this lots of times before, it'd be a different story, but I did not find it um, to be of enough value to invest a lot of time in. Yeah, yep. Um, Paul Fitzpatrick says the Tato V3 smart thermostat. Don't know what that is. Um, and the Ninja Air Fryer. I don't think that's relevant. Uh Shane Chubb. Love the air fryer. People love the air fryers. Right. Have you got an air fryer? No, but that's that helps you try on. Yeah, because you eat better. Right. Fair enough. Because like, all our friends were raving about the air fryer. Yeah. And and Joe Joe's such a good cook, she didn't want an air fryer. Mm-hmm. But then she bought one and she likes it. Because you use a lot less oils and stuff yeah. like that. So yeah. So Shane Chubb says the Wahoo Rome. It's great for loading courses so I don't get lost in New Zealand and internationally. And unfortunately, it tells me when the next head the next hill is ahead and how much gradient. So Garmin does a similar thing. I've got to tell you guys, if you're going traveling, um, and I'll, must, I'll have to do another segment on this, learning how to get maps and pre-routing done rides. In the yeah, done in the past, yeah, it's so good when you whenever you want to just go exploring. Like I do it locally. Like I've ridden here for flipping 
30 years um, and I'm still discovering new roads and you just go out there with confidence going right, left, right, left, right. And, you and just, do you map it before you go? Sorry? You map it before you go and, and you can just okay. go find nice new country roads that you've never been on before. Okay, good old uh, Daniel Mueller and also Leila Porteous has got the form goggles. Yeah, a few them. people have form goggles. Yep. They've got a new feature that's come out recently. I haven't looked into it in much detail um, that can give you sort of coaching on the angle of your head. So a lot of athletes swim with their head in an incorrect position um, and this can sort of give you the metrics around um, how you're sort of trending, whether your head's staying up, whether it's sort of... Does your head, yeah. head look? Yeah. Um, good old Rod... Uh, no, no, sorry. Nikki Sweetman's got the shock headphones, aftershock headphones, the ones that sit on the bone of your... above mm. your... or in front of your ears. People do rave about them. Brad Martin's uh, has also got those as well. I think... Uh, I've only used them a little bit on the bike and Belinda's got a fairly basic pair um, and they are good because I think the main thing for me... You other things. I don't like, I don't wear music out on the road from a safety point of view. If you had them on, at least you're a bit safer. Um, last one I'll do, Lucy Francis says, my TT bike with DI2, so that's electronic gear shifting, and full gas as a means to train, and Ricky race courses is brilliant too. Here's a couple of funny ones. Steve Deodonis has got DoorDash for ordering food while on the smart trainer. Mm. And then old Greg Jules Bramwell's got really loud alarm clock. A what? A really loud alarm really clock. Loud alarm clock. Yeah. <laughs> Although Greg, I always see Greg out running in the morning. Actually, right. I haven't seen you recently, Greg. Where you been? Because <laughs> he's got a crew he runs with. When yeah. I've got my coaching on in the morning at Hagley Park, and he's often out there running. But I have to admit, Greg, I haven't seen you. So the alarm clock may not be working. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Jombo, what, what about for you? Um, well, a couple of things I haven't tried yet that I'd be interested in looking into, and I, I'm getting spammed by them on my Facebook at the moment, is. Uh, the, they've got now got swimming power meters in your that sort of go on the palms of your hand. So I've got no idea if they're a, a really fantastic. Tool. You don't want to use running ones, but you want to use swimming ones. I want to no, I want to look at them and oh, see okay. see what the, um, see whether the data is of great value or not. Uh, so that would be probably my number one thing that I want to do. Not number one. That's one thing. And then the other one would be to do a bit of the aero testing with. Um, you can get measures your CDA where you can shove this um, device on the front of your bike. I think they're about 500 bucks US. And you can go along and you go and do a test run, and it will tell you sort of, you know, you, you'll be matching your power and your aerodynamics and your speed up together. And then you can make some adjustments, and it'll tell you if that's um, improved oh, things okay. or not. So you can, you know, if you it's go like a more tweaking machine, tweaking machine, you go more aero, and so you'll be faster. And what impact does that on, had on your power? power output and what impact that's had on your comfort level oh. um, so I'd be keen to but, but these things are things you want what has yes. been the things you've used uh, I haven't had anything particularly new in the last uh, in the last year or two that's really made uh, a massive difference in it I guess I, I, obviously I'm not really much of an athlete at the moment but my Apple Watch has been really good because it just it gives you data mm. you know what I mean like my sleep data mm -hmm. um, my exercise data and that was probably one other thing that I didn't see. And I'm not someone who's got anal about it, mm. but, you know, it's helped. Sorry, you go. A lot of people are saying with the, the aura rings uh, yep. are, are finding them really, really helpful because uh, obviously it's measuring how much you're sleeping, um, your sort of recovery rates, and so you do get quite a bit of positive feedback on that. Well, and, and you know, like, because there's also this talk of, you know, data stress, you know, that if I'm, mm. if I'm not getting my sleep stats, I stress. So, it, you know, you don't want to be that level, but... Um, I'm really good at my rest strategies and when we mm -hmm. think about our sport 
pretty much everyone who's doing our sports fatigued. Mm-hmm. You know, you live in fatigue, really, don't you? It's part of the game. Um, and so if, if, if you're not very good at sleep and you can kind of, you know, like you're kind of saying with the wind trainer devices, if you can do things to figure out what's your formula for getting to sleep. It is an important point you make there about sleep stress, you know. Oh, I'm not getting enough sleep. Yeah, I can't get sleep. Now I can't get sleep and then it would start to snowball. So what's your strategy? Because you're a good sleeper, aren't you? I'm just fortunate. Like I'll go to bed at 9.30 and it's like lights out and I'll wake up at five, generally. Yeah. So my strategy is go to bed at 8.30, leave my phone out of my bedroom and I take my phone into my bedroom, um, read a book. And then I'm asleep. And then if I'm if I'm one of those nights where I can't get to sleep, you know, sometimes you just, mm. which is very rare for me, I will go get my phone and I won't look at the phone. I'll just put a podcast on, mm. and that will get me to sleep. You know, just hearing something in the background. So that's, mm. that maybe once every three weeks I'll have that happen to me. I think both of us are not highly stressed people. No, not so at all. that probably helps us a lot. Yeah, right? but then in saying that, like I write a journal every night. Mm-hmm. So like I think I have tools that also help me offload the thoughts mm. of my day. Um, but yeah, I, and I'm so glad I'm a good sleeper because mm. oh, you know what it's like when you have a bit night's sleep. It's windy again. Bit, isn't bit it? of a breeze out there. Yeah, that beautiful day. Bit of a breeze. Good day for the races. Okay, this week's discussion is if you could pick two male and female athletes, current or recent pros, uh, to join the Ironman or PTO commentary, who would they be? Mm. What brought this on? Um, well, I just kind of thought we get it. We get, we do quite a bit of criticism. Oh no! There is quite a bit of criticism of the current commentators, and recently, you were, I think you were asking me who who was really really good, and like I find Rinny and Craig Alexander to be really really good, and I was just wondering who else out there is there currently or sort of recent pro that would do a good job of helping out the commentary team. Good times, rock and roll. Okay, John, let's go into John's quiz question. question. This is a tough one. Rolling on from that, um, because Rinny's name came up there, so Marinda Carfrey, um, one Ironman Hawaii. A couple of times, two, three. I think she did three, didn't three. she? She's definitely on the podium a few times as well. Um, but I was interested. Uh, sometimes there's athletes that do really well in Kona and they don't do much else uh, around the world, you know. Um, in the past, you'd say Sebastian Kinley may have fallen into that sort of basket a little bit, but I think he's really disproved that over the last few years with wins in all different sorts of yeah. places. And, and, and some very big wins. Fa- very fast times. Yeah. Um, but in terms of Rinny, how many... Iron distance races, and has she won outside of Kona? So put your thinking hat on, where she might have raced, and how many wins do you think she might have got? So just, just oh, no, we'll go back to this later on, because it's actually quite interesting when you look at her Kona results. So, okay, let's go into Pro Ooh, of the week. week. And we've got Penny Slater. I just Penny randomly, Slater. I just randomly picked out her name. I was sort of looking through some of the female um, pro athletes and some names that I'm not particularly familiar with. And Penny Slater jumped out at me. She is 27 years of age. She's 59 kgs, 165 centimeters tall. And her story is um, an interesting one because she was based in Canberra, Australia. Yep. Um, not she's not foreign to being involved in sport growing up. Penny didn't start triathlon until 2014. In 2017, she started racing the cross triathlon and she was two-time world under 23. Oh wow. So it's a slightly different pathway that we often see. You know, you often see them going through junior tri ranks, but to go straight into sort of cross tri um, or Xterra, she won two titles. But then in 2021, she made the switch to long course triathlon and has been hooked ever since. In 2022, she quit her job as a high school teacher and decided to go all in on her long course career, racing Kona as one of the youngest professionals in 2022, highlighted Penny's desire to reach the top 
echelons of the sport. Off the race course, she enjoys uh, putting to work her exercise science knowledge in her coaching business and continues her postgraduate studies. And she hopes to achieve a top 10 performance at the World Champs in the coming years. And so I was looking through that because I remember, I think Dave Dwan met her over in Kona, who was mentioning, I mentioned, met Penny Slater, and uh, she just missed out on a top 10 in Kona, finishing in 13th place yeah. this year. Um, she had multiple other podiums in the year. She got third at Ironman Cairns, third at Ironman South Africa, and third at uh, 70.3 Tasmania. And she's yet to crack the big W. So look out for a win from her next year. It's going to happen, Bevan. Yeah, which is race. Yeah. You know, and sometimes like a person of that level, they get that one performance and it's a breakthrough performance for them. Mm. And then you see that, you know, I remember watching that Jordan documentary and he was talking about, you know, because they he came on, they were a crap team and he started to build them and then they had the Pistons. Mm-hmm. And, and it, there's a moment we just said, like, we just, there was a moment where we learned how to be winners, mm-hmm. you know, and, and not saying she's not a winner because she's obviously a very good athlete, but, you know, once sometimes the door opens and, and massive things can happen. So keep it up, Penny. Currently ranked 87th in the swim, 32 on the bike and 43 on the run. So look out for the name Penny Slater from Australia. Next year, she's going to get her first W. Here we go. There's the name to look out for for 2024. Okay, John, we've got an interview. We have. Here we go. Joanne Murphy, here she is. Right, our team. Um, for those of you that were over in Kona, today you're going to hear a voice that was calling you, and there was a lot of firsts over in Kona. It was the first time we've had the women's only race over there, um, and it was the first time we've had a, one of the lead uh, MCs calling all the females in, in terms of, um, yeah, female only. Mike Riley's obviously moved on, but today's guest is Joanne Murphy. She also called athletes in at Utah, so if you're over there for the world champs uh, you will have heard her and if you're based over in the around the UK you will have heard, heard her voice many times and I've got to say Bevan um love the Irish accent yep. so uh welcome along to the show Joanne thanks so much for having me I feel like I've kind of made it because your show was very famous in these parts so I feel very privileged and happy to be a guest on your wonderful podcast good oh, very good and you're fresh off a um for those people that don't know you're fresh off a an indoor bike session, so you're, you're an active athlete as well yourself? Well, I, I try my best to keep moving. It's not always the easiest part <laughs> of, of the job, but um, yeah, we during COVID, we set up a, a weekly Zwift spin to kind of keep our community connected, and so we've kept it going since um, September 2020. So every single Monday night, um, I hosted as part of a bigger cycling group, and then we have a triathlon coach as well, Oliver Harkin. So the two of us just kind of chat away, pedal away. We get anything from sixty to three hundred people on the spin, depending on the night. Um, but it's it's every Monday, so we're just back um, after like an extended summer break, unintentional, but um, yeah. So it's super. So I'm just literally off the off the uh, off the spin. Glad that there's no cameras because my face is bright red. <laughs> what's the, an, an island at the moment yeah what's the vibe in terms of tries it's still you know you seem to be getting quite a few more events over there is it still on the upward is it kind of plateaued like it has elsewhere in the world or is it sort of on a little bit of a de- decline as we see in some places no i think triathlon is still a relatively new sport in ireland actually it celebrated its 40th year in ireland this year it started back in scaries in a little uh, a town in the east of of Ireland 40 years ago and uh, we hosted the national awards actually on Saturday night so I hosted those and there's a great sense of um, community there's a lot of active athletes I wouldn't be able to tell you how many athletes we actually have 
in triathlon at the moment, but the sport is growing. Um, and I guess the likes of the big brands coming into Ireland, the likes of Ironman, the likes of the Paris Olympics, uh, us having a very strong contingent potentially for the Paralympics, for our para triathletes. It all helps to build on, on the sport. And um, yeah, it's just great. And obviously we're an island here. So lots of athletes like to travel to the UK then um, to race some of the Ironman events or, or any of the other events there. And there's a lot of our Irish athletes will follow the sun. So you'll see a lot of our hardy athletes in Lanzarote in May or there was a gang of about 100, maybe more in, in Portugal recently at uh, Ironman Cascais between the, the 70.3 and the full distance. So, no, I think it's a sport that still has a lot of potential here in Ireland and it's still definitely growing. Random question for you. We were talking about this recently. Um, when we look at Irish sport, at least at the Olympic level, it doesn't seem to have performed well historically. Uh, when we think of like in a comparison to New Zealand, and I'm not doing the country comparison thing, but we've probably had four times, five times the amount of medals in the history of sport. Is, is it that it's much more of a Gaelic sport kind of dominated country or or is there a reason for that? Because I'm sure it's a very strong sporting nation. Um, um, is there a reason behind that? Yeah, we won't mention the rugby though. No. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 we, no. We can't both teams. Both, yeah. <laughs> both teams, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think I suppose our national sport is is what's called um football and hurling for the men and camogie and ladies football, then our football for the for the women. So that's kind of the sport that's in every single community in I would say 90% of the households in, in rural Ireland. That's kind of the main sport, and obviously that's not at the Olympics. Okay. But in terms of the Olympic sports, I think Ireland. Um, considering what we have in terms of our setup, like our Sport Ireland, which is our national governing body in terms of governing our federations and that there's a lot of um, really strong athletes coming through now. Um, you know, the likes of our rowers, our boxers, um, they're all really, really strong. I'm just trying to think we've got our power rowers as well, our power tries coming through as well. Um you know, Ireland has boxed above its weight in sport considering what we have available to us here in terms of, the Olympic sports. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, I wouldn't be able to tell you offhand how many medals we have, but I know that the there's a lot of excitement um, from especially from some of our athletic athletes as well going into the Olympics. The Olympic Federation Ball was actually held on Saturday night as well, celebrating um, the achievements of some of our athletes. And of course, you have to look at the likes of um, the, the Rugby Sevens team as well, qualifying for the Olympics uh, in 2024 recently. You know, there's definitely a big push on sport away from the GAA, which is what the collective national sport would be considered. And when you think of uh, if you think of Ireland, when you think of America, I suppose you think of maybe AFL or baseball, yeah. but in Ireland it would be other Gaelic games is the way I suppose that they're their terms. So no, I think Ireland is is punching above its weight in terms of of what it's already achieved. And I think that the future is very bright for what we have coming through across our juvenile sections in a lot of the aspects of our Olympic sports. Great. I still love those two, the two rowers. Yeah, I can't remember, I, can't remember yeah, which Olympics guys. they were classic. Um, <laughs> so in terms of you, yourself, you know, I know you came from sort of a, a fundraising background and and in the charity sector. What um what opened the door for you actually to get into race announcing and MC? It's it's a really long story, but the short version of it is that uh, Ironman Ireland was coming to Galway, where I'm now based. Um, back in 2011 and Mike Riley always announced the first event back in those days so and obviously he's connected to Ireland so he was coming to Ireland I was emceeing um, one of our club races I sat on the committee I'm very heavily involved or at least I was back then in our triathlon club I was the beginners officer so I kind of knew everybody and I was also on the race organizing committee 
and I happened to MC our Aquathon Festival and the guys that were the local um, organizers on the ground that were bringing the event to Ireland asked me, would I MC Ironman? And I was like, no way, I'm racing. I've been training since January. <laughs> this is August. But unbeknownst to myself, um, I actually had a, a the first of two fractures in my pelvis. And so oh, that geez. saw me out of the event, nothing too serious, but just couldn't train. And so I literally just started announcing at Ironman Ireland, uh, this Ironman Galway 70.3 2011. Mike Riley was there and just struck up a friendship with Mike. I did well on the day considering I had no real race announcing experience but I guess having worked in fundraising I was well used to speaking in front of people you know I had done a lot of public speaking as a kid um, and I just loved it I loved the buzz of it I was quite scared of Ironman at the time you think of it you know the big brand coming to Ireland um, quite in awe of the brand as well and and the excitement that was being built around it and so that was kind of it I, I was invited onto the Ironman team by the then managing director in the UK and I haven't looked back since uh, 2012 I I emceed the fifty one fifty European Championships, which held which were held in Liverpool, and then I think I actually was the finish line manager in Bolton for Ironman UK. So I wasn't on the microphone; I was actually in operations. And then I worked with Paul Kay in Ireland twenty twelve, and Paul Kay and Mike Riley have been the two constants in my announcing career for a lot of my journey. Um, and so the rest is kind of history. Then, um. Yeah, that was it. I just ended up doing a couple of local events and then people liked what I did and and how I performed. And I suppose you're only as good as your last performance, no more than a, a singer or somebody like that that's kind of trying to make it in, in an industry. And the world just opened up and I absolutely love it. Uh, so in 2015, I decided that I wanted to change from my real job, as my mother would have called it, and she still does call it a real job back in 2015. I'm not sure what this job is. It's definitely not a real job. Um, and so that was it. I kind of decided that uh, I would take the plunge into going full time into sport. I always knew I wanted to work in sport. I just didn't know what path I would go down and how I would eventually work full time in sport. And so this is how I've managed to carve my career in sport and completely embraced it in 2016, um, was working with Ironman at the same time. And then other organizations and federations here in Ireland approached me. People would hear you because obviously it's very public what I do and they like what I did. And so Thankfully, I've had uh, contracts with Ironman since 2011. I've been working with Gymnastics Ireland since I think around 2015 as well. And then I do lots of bits and pieces for Athletics Ireland and Cycling Ireland as well. Um, and then some stuff with Triathlon Ireland. So working with the federations here is really good. Um, and yeah, I just I absolutely love it. Um, it's it's a great, a great, a great job and a tough job at the same time, even though it looks very glamorous, but it's not. <laughs> One of the questions I had here, which I don't know it's actually that relevant, was I would have thought in, in what we see probably over here is it's often a fairly male-dominated sort of gig doing the emceeing, um, but that doesn't seem to be have been a barrier for you or, or was that ever an issue for you? It wasn't ever an issue, to be honest. I think um, my performance, and I say my performance because it is a performance when you're on the microphone kind of spoke for itself. And it's not like I tried to be better than any of my male counterparts. 
but I just did what I do. And I seem to have had a knack and a flair for presenting, for engaging people, for just ticking all the boxes and, and making sure the job got done in the way that a brand or a company or an organization wants their brand represented. And that's a huge part of it as well, that you stick to the script, but you also understand what the client per per se wants. Um, and also that you're you you become the voice of their event, regardless of whether it's a triathlon or a conference or an awards ceremony. So you have to get the tone right and you have to be able to adjust and adapt to each individual group or company or race that you're working for, because every event has its own personality. Even within Ironman in the UK, every event has its own personality. Um, and you kind of try to to bring that in as well and 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 um and that becomes a huge part of it. Um, I've been lucky to have been supported by a lot of men. Um, there are a few female announcers in in Europe. There's there's not many in Ireland or the UK. Uh, there's quite a few coming through now in the States, which is really good. And I know down under there's um, Tammy is down there with you guys as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's great to see there's been an increase, but it's a bit like I didn't see anybody else doing this job other than Mike Riley mm. and Paul Kay. And so I've just been lucky, but I've also worked really hard to create that niche for myself and try and be as good as I can be. And if that was good enough for people, then they would want me at their events. And so you try to bring everybody along with you, whether they're male or female coming along beside you or behind you. Um, it's really important that I give back to the people who are coming along because I won't be around forever. And you want you want to bring people with you as well because you obviously I work very individually in my own particular role um we do have announcing teams I work quite a bit with Jay Luke over in uh, the UK he's based out of, of Bondi generally but he's uh he's in the UK for the summer and so he's my teammate in the summer for the UK but my teammate for gymnastics is somebody completely different and my teammate for something else is something different so it's a very individual role. So you rely on the people around you to bring you along and you bring them along as well. And you you bounce off the people that you're working with. But it's a very isolated role in one sense. But then it's a very um, team orientated role in another because you are joining a different team every single week. Every single weekend I work with a different team, with the exception of the same people in the UK every time that we do an event there. But um some of the events when they're when they're not back to back, you work with a different team every weekend, which is quite interesting. With, with, so with I, don't to, I don't know if that answers your question, but no, no, that's no, good. So, um, what about developing of your skills? You know, like um, you said, you did a lot of public speaking as a kid, but is it, you know, did you have to kind of work on skills and how did you actually go about becoming a good MC slash speaker slash kind of public persona? Yeah, you kind of, I suppose you have to, you have to listen. A huge part of talking is actually listening and um, being able to read the room, read the crowd. You know, when you're trying to hold on to people at an Ironman event, when it's getting, when it's absolutely lashing rain, it, take Wales, for example, it's freezing cold, it's lashing rain. The wind has been howling all day and I'm describing a really bad day. We had a fabulous day in Wales this year. Um, and you are trying to keep the finish line full for as long as possible with spectators you have to listen to the crowd. You have to try and gauge the people that are there. You have to obviously listen to the athletes and look at the athletes, but you're trying to bring everybody with you on that journey with what you're trying to say and trying to, I suppose, encourage them to support the athletes and not just support their own individual athlete, but every single athlete. So you're trying to just build that rapport with the crowd around you, which is hugely important in terms of delivering for 
an event um and yeah it can be it can be quite tricky um but it's a, it's a huge part of the job is listening and um, people think because i talk so much i don't listen but actually <laughs> you, you you have to listen an awful lot and then the other thing when i was growing up i'd watch people on the television and i'd be like oh my god they're absolutely terrible i am never going to do what they're going to do you know and and even now you hear somebody and you think oh wow that is really bad remind me never to do that um and you listen to the people around you who comment on the stuff that's happening and you're like oh yeah they're actually right um, and so but you also listen to good people but it's the same in every job though you know you'll always I suppose gravitate towards the people that you think are doing a good job and a great job and you learn from other people and you learn from your mistakes as well nobody's perfect in any sense of the word I've made plenty of mistakes myself with different things um but yeah definitely listening and learning and um I suppose being a storyteller as well as a huge part of it because you need to tell the athlete's story on the finish line or you need to be able to pull the story from somebody when you were doing a podcast um, and spin a story around their journey in sport. So it's a, it, it's a funny skill to try and have it. And then you also have to not be afraid to public speak, which can be quite daunting. Um, and there can be situations where there's intense pressure. You know, a lot of people don't think, you know, that you're under pressure at any point, but you are under intense pressure at times to get everything right because you want the athletes and the people that you're working for to just have the perfect day. So I guess, you know, um, I guess you know, a, a big part of your career was was building towards Kona, and um, and yeah, the, obviously the World Championships, as I said earlier, first time female only race, and and you were mentioning, you know, you, you have different races have different personalities, um, and Kona will definitely be no exception to that. I remember when we interviewed Mike Riley once in terms of the preparation he does for races, it was um, it was a lot more in depth than I think probably what most people realize, you know, it goes through pretty much the entire start list trying to learn about every single athlete. What, what does your preparation look like? If you t- take Kona, for example, you know, what were you doing in the days leading into the race to, to make sure you were sort of on peak performance, you know, much like the athletes on race day? Trying not to have a panic attack. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Kona is just a different beast altogether. Like it's just, it's amazing. Um, As you know, from being there yourselves, but it's, it's the the prep is intense because when you, when you go to a normal race day, let's take Wales, for example, it's a festival weekend of, I've got iron kids. You might have a pro press conference. You might have a pro briefing. You've already done your online briefings before you get to race day, but then race day, you arrive on, I arrive on Thursday and race day is Sunday. I haven't worked a full week of events before I get to race day. Um, whereas in Kona, I literally arrived on the Friday and I hosted the endurance run. Then I did the Hawala swim on Sunday. Monday, I think I did the Heroes of Hawaii. Tuesday, it was Parade of Nations and something else. Wednesday, it was the VIP reception. Thursday, it was the banquet and something else. Friday was was bike check-in, an interview with Breakfast with Bob. And Saturday was race day. Sunday was <laughs> Sunday was the awards. Monday was Mahalo. So, so they're, they're all the events that I hosted or anchored or uh, and obviously race day is the big one but the time you get to race day though for Kona you're already exhausted because you're under so much pressure um, and I think this this year was very different obviously because it was the first year of women's only race it had to work in terms of delivering for the athletes it, it was always going to be different because Mike wasn't there um, and it was always going to be different because it was a women's only race on a Saturday Um And so you had to, you know, I suppose by the time I got to Kona this year, 
I had worked uh, as part of the team in, in Utah last year. I had worked in uh, in Kona as well last year with Mike and Paul and the rest of the team. And I'd also worked Utah 70.3. And so by the time I got there this year, I had been in Nice and in Finland. So this was, was going to technically be my fifth slash sixth uh, Ironman World Championship. So it, it's a real daunting prospect to think that you're the voice that's going to be on Elite Drive calling the world champion down the finish line. And that part of, of the week is only, it's a minuscule part of the week, but it's probably the most important part um, in one sense. And, and race day is the most important day, but by the time you get to it, your brain is absolutely exploding with information and you're trying to retain information. Everyone you meet, every piece of, 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 um, of coverage that you read, every Instagram reel that you watch, like the athletes that you're tracking yourself, that you're going into. And I hosted all the press conferences as well. God, how could I forget? They were definitely the most stressful um, <laughs> of the whole thing. I, I mean, I mentioned on my own podcast that I, I wasn't sweating because of the the, the heat and the humidity in, in Kona. I was sweating from the stress and the adrenaline running through my system for the few days I was there. Um, but the prep is immense because Every single um, event is is an individual event that you have to prep for. You can't just rock up with a run of show and be like, oh, yeah, here we go. Like there's meetings about different events, the production value of of the awards and the banquets and and everything like everything is thought about with so much vigor. And there's so much preparation goes into it, not just from the announcing team, but from the whole team. Um, and it's about that race week experience. It not, it's not just about any one individual event and, and on race day you know, calling calling an athlete down the finish line on elite drive at a world championship. That's an iconic moment for so many athletes, mm-hmm. whether whether you're the world champion or whether you're coming second, third, fourth, fifth or 2025th. It doesn't matter. Every single athlete needs to get that same level of a welcome that the winner got. How do and you break the um how do you break the day up? You know, trying to stay engaged for 16 and a half, 17 hours. Um a looking after your voice, but B just having the energy to do that. You know, how do you guys break out the shifts? Yeah. So in Kona, there was uh there were five of us, I think. There was myself, Paul, Carissa Galloway, uh, Jay Styles, and uh, Eric Gilsonen. And so in the morning it was myself and Paul for swim start. And then uh we stayed till the last swimmers out of the water. Uh, Carissa, Eric, and um Jay then go up to the hot corner. So they welcome everyone out of the swim out onto the bike course, which is really good because you know, in the hot corner in Kona, um on the bike course, they get to see the athletes so many times. There's great excitement up there. And so then we got a bit of a break when the last athlete goes through for the final time. You get a break for a little bit, maybe an hour, an hour and a half. And then I went on the hot corner um, until the top 20 female pros went through the corner out onto the Queen K. And when Lucy was coming in, though, I nearly lost my voice because I went a bit nuts. And I thought, oh, my God, this is just, you know, we still have how many more hours to go? And I've just pushed it completely. So I had to pull it back a little bit. Um, And then Paul and Carissa were down at the transition area for a while. And then we switch. And so Carissa, Eric and Jay then were on the, uh, the hot corner for a while. And myself and Paul moved to the finish line. And so then, you know, myself and Paul were on the finish line for quite a while. And then I had to go get ready for the press conference. So Carissa and Paul were on the finish line. And then uh, once they, once I was finished that and had a little, I think I had like a 30 minute break. Um, I went back on the finish then to let Paul and Carissa 
off for their break and then we had another break and then it was the last two hours on the finish line then with Jay Styles and Paul was there as well so to be fair to Paul Kay he probably put in the longest shift on the finish line mm-hmm. on the day um, but it's a hectic day you do have to mind yourself the heat and humidity in, in, in Kona obviously is, is very hard but you just have to stay hydrated rest when you can take breaks when you can um, and just not push it too far uh, the last thing you want is for the very last athlete to come down the finish line and you don't have a voice or even mm. to turn up to awards the next day and be raspy it's not very professional um to do that it happens at times um but you try your best to stay as hydrated and as fueled as possible um it, it's not easy on an ironman day because it is so long um i think we were out of bed at at uh, three o'clock and we probably got to bed at two o'clock the next day self-inflicted staying up afterwards so excited at what we had we had achieved and so excited for so many people that we met after the race as well so um yeah it was it was a very very special day um what, what um what surprised you about the kona or, or were there any surprises and was it different to other races or how was it different to the other races you have emceed was there anything that surprised me about Kona? Um, probably that I was the lead announcer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. I mean, I was told I was the lead announcer, um, but I kind of naively thought, oh, yeah, that's just race day. And maybe, you know, the I did the voiceover for, for something for the partner's video and I'd be up on stage a bit for banquets. But that kind of Paul would be more the lead announcer for, say, the Heroes of Hawaii or the VIP reception or other bits and pieces that Mike would normally have done. I just thought they would split the role, you know, kind of equally between us with obviously me calling the the winner down the finish line. So I was probably a bit naive. So that's probably what surprised me the most that I got to Conan was like, oh, my God, I'm hosting the press conferences. What? Oh, holy mother of I don't know what I'm going to do here, you know, so um, and a huge opportunity and very overwhelming at times, um, very emotional um, I wouldn't be a hugely emotional person, but it definitely was emotional. And I kind of went through the week just ticking off the boxes of, of what I was doing, because if I thought about it generally, what I was doing as a whole, I think I probably would have probably had a little bit of a freak out um, because it was just so huge. Um, and then in terms of other races, there's nothing compares to Kona. The, the, the level of media interest in it, the eyes of the world are on it, the people that are there. The, the level of intense pressure that everybody is under um, to deliver an event for the athletes um, it is massive. And it's, it's just, it's a different ball game. Um, you know, it's just, it's just hard to describe it. I mean, you've been to plenty of races yourselves. You know the difference between rocking up to, you know, a regular uh, Ironman or Ironman 70.3 race and then suddenly stepping onto the world championship stage. There, there's nothing you can compare it to um and, and the expectation is there as well from the athletes you know they're going to a world championship it needs to feel like a world championship and the announcers are such a huge part of that of delivering that you know it's not just about the swim bike or run it's about how we make the athletes feel throughout the day whether that's how they feel in the swim before they get in the water to when they come out of the water to when they get off their bikes to going up Palani on the run course to coming down Elite Drive, creating that moment because that's sometimes all it is, is that one moment. That That's what's different in Kona, I think. Mm. Um, just a random one. Well, I was on your website yesterday. Did I, Was there pictures of you interviewing Roy Keane? <laughs> yes, there are. <laughs> right. 
He's yeah, an so, would have been an interesting interview. Yeah, that was uh, that was probably nearly as stressful as being in Kona. Uh, that was <laughs> yes. back in uh, that was back in 2016. Um, the women's football club here were in, wanted somebody to interview Roy Keane, and they wanted a female to do it. And they very kindly asked me would I be interested, and I was absolutely bricking it but he's from Cork <laughs> I'm from Cork and so we had an instant connection and yeah it was fabulous it was probably the biggest interview of my career to that point it was in a, a breakfast with 300 um really really keen Roy Keane fans um <laughs> so we have state exams here called the leaving cert and I equate my job sometimes to studying feverishly for a, an exam you know uh, when I went to interview interview Roy Keane I quickly scanned his book and tried to pull out nuggets of of information on him but it was great fun you know um he's a lovely man we had great crack we chatted about Saipan he was heading back out there on his holidays at the time uh, to pick up his mobile phone charger that he left out there when the whole incident in Saipan happened or so he joked but yeah it was you know sometimes I've been lucky that I've been given an opportunity that maybe wouldn't have come my way um, because I was a woman um, and then other times I've got them on merit I think that was a mix of both Yeah. So for people that don't know who Roy Keane is he's a fairly famous Irish uh, football soccer player um, and was quite a gruff uh, aggressive player and uh, he's probably completely different in real life but as a football player he was uh, he was fairly aggressive and uh, he, he put you in place back. Yeah, yeah, he didn't hold back. He was captain of Ireland for a while and then he was the team manager. And um, yeah, he's a he's an icon of Irish sport for many young football fans, even now when he's retired. Yeah. And he will be for many years to come. Um, now, you do your own podcast as well um, through TryTalkingSport.com. Um, have you had any other particular highlights in terms of interviewees on there? I know you. I saw recently you interviewed um, Lucy Charles Barclay straight after her, her win in Kona. Um, any other particular favourites you've got on there um, and happy to give any of them a plug? Oh, thanks a million. Yeah, uh, Lucy was very special, obviously. Uh, as I said to her in the podcast, we're connected through history forever, which is is kind of daunting, but very special as well. I called her an Ironman in 2014 and to then call her the Ironman World Champion was was very special and very emotional. Um, and I've followed her journey, of course, throughout the years. There's there's loads of episodes there. Um, some of the ones that, that stand out are the likes of of Mark Allen. Um, just he was so much fun. Um and even Nicholas Roach, you know, the, the former professional cyclist, you know, mm. these guys are interviewed and even Lucy, you know, they're, they're interviewed. I'm sure you find this as well. You interview yeah. so many top class people whose stories have been shared around the world 25 times before they ever they ever land on your doorstep. And the hardest part of interviewing them is actually trying to get something different from them mm -hmm. that they mm -hmm. haven't said before. And so I felt with Lucy's podcast with Nico or Nico and with Mark, I was able to draw out some other stuff that they hadn't said before or that maybe had been forgotten about. And so that gives you a big buzz. But I'll tell you what really gives you the big buzz is when when I interview somebody who surprises me. So somebody like I'm going to give her a plug, I think, because Trisha Strelioff, who is from Saskatchewan in um, in Canada, is a good friend of mine and she's a triathlete in, in Galway Tri Club. And I always admired her for her kind of tenacity with her training and her racing. And she's a strong athlete in her, I'm going to say late 40s. Actually, she was just 50 recently, I think. So her story was absolutely amazing. And even though I'd known her for years, I never really truly knew her story. And for her to open up 
to me and tell me the story and for the feedback we got on her podcast was just insane um so sometimes telling the age group story is a lot more powerful mm. than telling the story of the professional athlete and that's not disrespecting anybody at all that's been through the doors of of the try talking sport podcast but some of the best chats and best fun are the ones with the people that you don't expect i think mm. um and i just love the podcast my mother would have said i was nosy you know as a kid but i just think it's a, a severe case of curiosity um mm. and and i love hearing people's stories and i love sharing the stories and the podcast was initially set up back in 2019 because i felt that our sport didn't get enough airtime here in ireland and not just triathlon but endurance sport in general so we back in 2017 um did the race around ireland four of us four girls four just regular girls from galway did race around ireland set a new irish record came second in a two th- two and a half thousand kilometer cycle that took us 81 hours and i think one news outlet actually reported on it at the time and i was really disappointed i thought here's four women who've come together of of all different levels and nobody really cares and we went and we did another race the following year and we won that race and set another Irish record that still hasn't been broken. And so. nobody really cared. Um, there was a couple of little places or whatever. And I just felt like there's so many other athletes who are doing amazing things that just don't get the coverage. And so I need to do something about this. And then that was partially the reason the podcast was was set up. And now it's a staple uh, in my, I suppose, my daily, my daily routine. I did take a step back from the in the summer this year. We went from two episodes a month to one because I was traveling so much. And it's and as you guys know, it's a lot of work to put a podcast together. Um, and uh, when you do it, you want to do it right. So I couldn't commit fully to it. And so I have to take a little bit of a step. But we're back now and hopefully we'll get a few more episodes out before the end of the year. So guys, if you want to check it out, go to trytalkingsport.com. Um, so Joanne, I thought you did an awesome job in Kona in terms of from wow. afar, from what we could see, um, in terms of I watched the press conferences, they were awesome. And what we could see from um, from on the ground during the race uh, sounded really, really cool as well. Love the accent, love the, love your voice and uh, keep up the awesome work. Just one last question, just quickly. Do you say you're an Ironman when they cross the finish line? Oh, of course, but only at an Ironman. Yeah, no, 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 but yeah, just, yeah, because Mike, that was kind of Mike's thing, you know, and I was just kind of curious, has that been passed on? What, that I would say you are an Ironman? Yeah, because it was Mike's thing, wasn't it? It was, you know, like it was. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. If we didn't say you are an Ironman on the finish line at any of our, oh, my, but the athletes would kill us. Yeah. Like, athletes expect it. It's such a huge part of becoming an Ironman for the first time or for the 101st time. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 a lovely honour of, of Mike Riley as well that we do say it every time an athlete crosses the finish line. And, and that line will be there forever, I hope, because it's such a huge part of, of the sport. Um, and, you know, we'd like we can't get everybody's name right and we try our absolute best to get everybody across the finish line and say you are an Ironman um, and that is a big pressure point in, in the job as well but we try and do it every time and if we don't you know sometimes we'll try and send personal messages to people and um, it doesn't always happen but we do our best to try and do it and it's such a huge part of of becoming an Ironman it's yeah it's amazing well you're awesome. doing amazing work thank Love you so work. much for your time Thank you so much, guys. Love the podcast. Jumbo, your thoughts? It's great. I've got to say, I don't know, I know I said it a few times through there. Irish accent is the coolest accent in the world. The nice thing about the Irish accent is it's and kind nice of, people. 
Well, yeah, they're lovely people, aren't they? Um, but also, it's kind of understood everywhere. Unless it's really thick. Mm. You know, like, because she could go to America and, like, whereas if I went to America and tried to be the MC, yes. you know, the Kiwi accent would be struggled a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, um, you know, like, it's, it is universally kind of understood. Northern Ireland's a bit different. But is that where it's thick, is it? Yeah, that's where it's a bit different. But Ireland, I, I agree, it's it's universally relatively easy they to understand. They are good people, the Irish, aren't they? Oh, they love a good party. Yeah, they do love yeah. a good party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love a good drink. I'm getting on it. I remember we, we did a little ticky tour around Dublin, like a three or four day paddy tour, I think it was, and went yeah. down and kissed the Balani stone and did all that sort of stuff. Took the boxes. Um, and we had a drink somewhere. It was like a pint, went to the Guinness factory, not at the Guinness you factory. Like Guinness? No, I don't. But we had to, you have to drink a bit of over yeah. there. So you had the Guinness, and then you had like a shot that went in there, and I think it went on fire or something. Okay. And it went in, and then you had to drink, like chop the whole thing. And Guinness is, <laughs> I, I get I've it. I get, it. I get people it. like it, but I don't like it. Yeah. And to have to chop it was uh, was tricky. Because it's quite thick, isn't it? It's thick. It's like a meal in itself. Really? Yeah, probably quite nutritious. That's what people who drink lots of it say. So there you go. So I just thought it'd be an interesting interview to have a chat to her to see what Kona was all about. And that that race announcing is a a real skill. Oh, that's a big day. Uh, And hopefully they get rewarded well because if you have a, a, a mediocre race announcer versus a very good race announcer, it can make such a difference. It can make or break a race. Mm. You know, like when you turn up to a race and you, you, you get a lot of local races and it's just some guy who's been given the mic mm. and it's worse than they don't have music on. Yeah. You know, like the job of the race announcer is to make an awesome atmosphere for both the athletes, the crowd, and for the organisers to feel that they've been trusting hands. And so um sounds like she's a literally rock star and, and really, maybe for the next period of time, one of the big names of the sport. Totally. So if you want to check her out, again, her website is trytalkingsport.com. You can check out her podcast and everything else she does. Okay, John, let's go into Wanger of the Week. Wait. Let's go 99. 99. Like, get smart, 99. Do you love Get Smart when you were a kid? Yep, but we're not going 99 because she didn't do a oh, swim last week. come on, week. 99. Although I'd be, dis- I'd be eliminated from this at the moment. I'm not really using gadgets when I swim at the moment. Um, I'm sometimes using the form goggles, but um, I'm pretty slow at uploading that. So okay, she may have swum. What about 100? 100? No. Oh, okay, closest one to 99. That's no, 97. 97. Simone Faulkner. I'm pretty sure she's from Christchurch because I reckon I saw her name entering the Oxman that's coming oh, up. There we go. Uh, You're stalking people, eh? Uh, two hours, 26 of running, five hours, 34 on the bike, and three hours and two minutes of running uh, from 10 activities, 11 hours and three minutes. So I reckon at this time of year, you can sneak in there with slightly lower volumes than when we see the peak European times um, or peak Northern Hemisphere times. Uh, she did the Mission Mount Summers race. Oh, that would have been tricky. Yeah, yep. she was the first female She's in the Tim- class. Timaru in Canterbury, so uh, which is about 180 k's, 200 k's south of Christchurch. She's got a great smile. Yeah. Yep. She's in a lot of clubs, in a lot of clubs. Um, Her longest bike ride was 218 kilometres. Where did she go on a 218 kilometre bike ride? It's a doozy. Ah, she did the five passes. Oh, so go. five passes is a bike tour that's in uh, sort of starts in Christchurch. Um, Scott Molina and Gordo Byrne were part of the team that sort of kicked that off. It's on oh, next weekend. Um, so she did five passes. Good on her. Yeah, um, she can do a two or three marathon. Whoa. Yeah, she's pretty quick. Not quite a world record though. <laughs> no, it's just for females. Oh, just for females. True. Yeah, yeah. Tell you what, Malcolm Gladwell, who loves running, you know Malcolm Gladwell? Uh, yeah. The author. He had a really good discussion with. Um, 
Bill Simmons on Bill Simmons' podcast around what's happening of running right now. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize. The, so, do, do you know much about the lady who broke the world record? Uh, no. So, she, it was like her first marathon. Mm. She, and she'd only, and, and six months earlier, she'd done like a, an okay half marathon, like, mm. you know, world level okay. Yeah. Uh, and she was a track runner. Now, you might go, she's a cheat. And Malcolm Gladwell was saying, this is the problem we have right now. Either she's the greatest athlete we've ever seen, mm. or she's a cheat. Mm. Or the shoes are just ruining the game. Mm-hmm. But the problem he's saying is we don't know. Mm. We, d- we don't know either of them. And it's a bit of a problem for the sport because pretty much every, we- every weekend a record's being broken and it's taken the joy out of sport. And, and the discussion he's having is, well, they were having is where does technology sit in sport? And they're, they're saying that golf's actually doing a really good example of how mm. to manage technology because nowadays you can get these clubs which are basically in balls which are mm. kind of change the game. And they're, they're putting restrictions around what can and can't be used. Because um, the record was... Two minutes faster, was it three minutes faster? It was a, it was a smashing, I remember it. Yeah. And the men's record got broken the other day. It sounded two hours and 32 seconds, I think it was. Uh. And we're seeing it in triathlon as well. We see these amazing run splits week after week after week. Um, well, Simone yeah. is obviously using the shoes because she did a 203 marathon. 203, yeah. nice work, Simone. And if yeah. you are coming to do the Oxman coming up, uh, good luck with your race. I guess it's Simone, what's her last name? Simone Faulkner. Faulkner, you are our winger of the week. Okay, questions and answers. Chris Rose has got this one. With the new series bonus, will there be enough competitive competitive bump during the 70.3 and Ironman races to increase strength of field, which will pay itself forward for higher PTO rankings for those who stay loyal to Ironman brand? So basically what he's saying is, Ideally, now that Ironman with the better with the better payment system means better better athletes are going to turn up to racings, which the ranking points will go up in PTO, which in theory means at the end of the year Ironman should get better rewarded. Yeah, so there's a few theory. things to factor in here, and one of the things that I think is not going to make a big difference here is to have a strong ranking points available at a at a race, you need to have really good prize money. And so what Ironman are doing with this new series that they've announced is they've got a bonus pool at the end of the series. True. But it doesn't really stipulate I mean, races, yeah, yeah. on the individual races whether that prize money is going to, to go up or not. Um, so I think in that regard, the strength of field will bump things up a little bit. But because most of the Ironman races are at best are probably going to be at the gold level, which is like the third tier down, I don't think, you know, bang for bang, they're going to be on par with, um, with for example, one of the PTO series races, which is going to be at the top level. So I think it'll help, um, but I don't think it's going to be an absolute game changer. So what we do need to remember, though, with the PTO races, um, only requires three races so it's your three best races of any event around the world that meets their certain criteria that will get you points um ironman you need to do five races to be to to get your maximum points yeah this is a mix of 70.3 and yep it can be a mix of 70.3 and ironman there's a certain number of ironmans that you can ever have as a limit of um so i think that the athletes are going to be the top of the pto series are going to be the ones that do the PTO races and maybe just do Kona or 70.3 world champs. When you look at the results from the past year, nobody had like a clean clean win-win-win. Like they're all sort of one, two, three. I think mm. Christian Blumenfeld had a first, a second and a third. And I think um, 
and Haoku was on top. I think she was similar. She had a first, a second, and a third. So if you, I think it is possible to win both series. If you won Kona and you won 70.3 world champs. Which is a big prize, good, strong field. And, and you did, okay. did, did really well in one of the PTO races, then you've probably got a chance. Um, so I think, yeah, I think the PTO rankings will probably be dominated by those doing the PTO series. But we shall wait and see. Yeah, and, and like we can't really look at this year's results because no one was really based racing, mm. racing based on what was happening looking forward. So, yeah, I think it's a great thing. I just hope it doesn't dilute the fields. I, yeah, I just think what we're going to see and is... The fields you, are diluted right now in Ironman, aren't they? Uh, at Ironman, but I think just across the board, oh, like okay. at, at PTO races, I think what we're going to see is you're not going to see the Ironman specialists doing PTO races. They're just going to go, I was there Unless last year. Unless you're a Unless you're Bloomfield, yeah, yeah, the top, the guys that can do it all, but people like Joe Skipper who might have gone to a, an Ironman race or someone like Matt Hansen, guys that are really good, but they're not going to be in the top five at a PTO race, um, they're going to go elsewhere, so I think we'll see that sort of divergence of middle, middle distance specialists who are good at Ironman doing PTO and long course specialists doing the Ironman stuff. Interesting stuff. Okay, the quiz question. So the quiz question was, how many IMM races did Rennie win, Miranda Carthree, outside of Kona? So just before we go there, mm. so she won Kona three times, but man, she was good. She had three golds, three silvers, and a bronze. Right. So she, so basically in the 2010s, she podiumed seven times. Seven out of seven out of ten. Yeah. In, 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 the, in yeah. the 2010s. Yeah. Uh, did she? Oh no, no. 2009 was the first silver. Yeah. When did she retire? 2022. Okay. So but through, through 2021 and 2022, uh, she was coming and going. And in some stage in there, she had a baby. I'm not yeah. quite sure. I think she she definitely was pregnant again when she was doing some of that commentary work in Kona. I was watching and going, that has got to be a really uncomfortable place to be pregnant oh. uh, and, and working hard all the way through the she day. She also won 70.3 World Champs uh, once in mm-hmm. 2007. Mm-hmm. So it was before she actually went to Ironman. Uh, and then she got bronze in 2006 when they were in Clearwater. Remember that? Draft fest. <laughs> yeah. Those. The old race ranger would have been beeping and yeah. flashing yeah. like so bloody crazy. It was like would a have disco party. Um, okay, so... How many Ironman... Iron distance have you looked races? at the answer? No. Uh, I reckon she won... So how many Iron distance races Marinda Carfree win outside of Kona? I'm going to say she, she won, she wrote one. I'm sure she won, wrote one year. I'm gonna. I, she I'm must have won an Australian one. Yeah, she must have won an Australian one. I'm gonna go. I'm, I'm leaning towards four. I'm not sure whether to say five. I'm gonna say five. Okay, I'll go four. Which is amazing, really. Okay, we don't know the answer, so let's let's get yeah. the facts before we start commenting on the facts. Uh, I'm in Austria. Yes, one. In 2016. Challenge wrote in 2014. Yep, two. I think that's where we're finishing. Really. Yeah, it can't be one hundred percent accurate. Yeah, I think it is because she, you know, when you win Hawaii, you got automatic slot for the following year, or something. And there was that one. Road, remember, there was one year Andrew Messick made a bit of a stink because she just basically cruised the course. Yeah, and that was it was like uh, it was like Lazzarotti or something, wasn't it? No, it was somewhere, and it was like Cozumel or something, yeah, something like that. that. Yeah. Um, and they said, "Oh, we're going to bring in a rule, which means you have to run fast." It was like, "Well, how can you make someone do that?" Yeah. Um, so she did quite a bit of seventy point three racing. But she didn't. It's not that she was crap at other Ironmans. She just didn't do that many. Um, so she only won two Ironman outside of, based on what we're looking at on the PTO website. Yes. Outside of Kona, and then she won three Konas and four podiums. 
Yeah. Outside, so seven podiums and well, and then two seventy point three, which well, podiums and. Oh, she did Ironman Cairns one year, finished second there. Um, so she's the example of the athlete who just waited for Kona, eh? Hmm. Which do we, we don't see so much now, do we? We don't. No, we don't see that so much. You know, because it used to be you you do one Ironman a year outside of Kona, mm. and then Kona, you know, the top the top dogs were very. Mm. Kona specific in what they were doing. And again, it's not like she's bad elsewhere. She just did more 70.3s and, and that was her gig. Go and smash it, Kona, do 70.3s, maybe do another Mate. one here or there. Uh, and that was a way for her to have longevity. And I think she, she liked racing and she liked Imagine going fast. she would have gone with the run shoes on. Mm-hmm. Everyone responds differently, but you've got to think she would have gone even quicker. And that's what Gleber was saying was the problem. Mm. As new technology, like some people kill it, some people mm. don't. Mm. And so it's like, it's actually... Uh, Sports complicated, John. Yeah. Okay, let's go to our patrons. Uh, let's do my swimsuit first because oh. people will be getting inundated uh, yeah, with complaints. When you don't do it, I get <laughs> a thousand emails, I tell you. Well, this morning we did 600 warm up, which was 100 freestyle, uh, 50 kick, 50 drill, a uh, few times through. And then our main set was two times 400 pull, then two 50s, uh, 25 fly, 25 free. And then we did three 300s. And they were build up, so first hundred pretty easy, second hundred a bit harder, third hundred a bit harder, and then we did two twenty fives. What did we do that time? Uh, I can't remember what they did, what we did for this. Oh, two twenty fives. Uh, we hit, hit up um, for half a length, hit down for half a length, and then four two hundreds descend one to four, so getting progressively faster. Last two fifties were one length underwater, one length freestyle, and warm down. What was a little disparaging this morning was we had a couple of, initially we had a guy get in our lane, like we, we were just getting on the end of the pool. We, we get in at 5.30 and I go through the change rooms, get changed. People are speedy, they're like in the water yep. straight away. Go. And so we get on the pool deck and there's a, a woman I saw with Nicole and uh, another guy, Tom Sumville, was there this morning. And there's a guy just in like running shorts about to get in our lane, which is oh, a fast lane. Oh, no way, Jose. <laughs> and I said to Nicole, how long is this going to last? <laughs> and uh, and he did one length and stopped. And it's like, he's a one lengther. <laughs> <laughs> well, then he got out. <laughs> no, he, he just did one length. He was having a breather. Oh, you know? no. And, uh, Does he, they, do they have fast lane? Yeah, ours is the fast lane. But do they have it written on the yep, lane? yep. And I think he saw us coming and he got straight out of the lane. So that was uh, one incident. And then the second incident was we were doing our 4 by 200s to send one to three and two guys got in our lane. Oh, get up. Come on. We're just in the main part of our swim. Uh, and they took off and we're doing backstroke. Oh. And I was like, oh, God. Oh, they look like they're going quite quick. I was swimming behind them, doing uh, swimming 120s. Yeah. Uh, so that's a reasonable yeah, sort yeah. of pace. And they were staying in front of me. <laughs> oh, wow. So they were good swimmers. <laughs> they were good swimmers. Uh, so. so then you were like, oh, just keep quiet. Yeah, I'll keep <laughs> quiet. In the background. <laughs> yeah. So they were going, wow, and, and backstroke. And they didn't look like that. It was like they were warming up, doing backstroke at 120. I was like, whoa. And then they said, oh, we sort of had a chat afterwards. And they said, oh, we might come down to your swim. So I was like, I think you're a bit quick for us, guys. <laughs> oh, good times. Okay, let's go to our patrons. Uh, we have... Robert Cuddles Evans. Robert, the detailed deliverer, Gray. And then we've got Parker Barney Day. There we go. There's the patrons. If you want to become a patron of the show, go to www.imtalk.me. It's a good way to support the show and support the boys and what we do. Basically, you give a little bit of how to money each month to us, and it helps us support the show. So go to www.imtalk.me and go through the process. If you want some coaching, go to coachjohnnewson.com. You can also go to epiccamp.com to check out one of his amazing camps. For anything I do, bevanjamesisles.com, speaking, 
books and so on. And any other content you can email imtalkpodcast at gmail.com. What you got, John? A little tramp at the weekend, Bevan. I saw a photo. Yes, a reel. I embarrass my children by doing reels. They uh, why is that embarrassing? Oh, they just uh, they just said it's you know, boomer sort of stuff. You're not supposed to do a reel unless it's a video, and I just do a collection of photos. So I'm like, I want to put a few photos up. Yeah, do what you want to. And I'll just put reels disappear. Uh, no, that stories disappear. Oh, I see. I don't even know. So you <laughs> do, you <laughs> just, you know, I'm one step above you, and I'm bloody hopeless. Uh, so my last tramping adventure, we got drilled with the weather um, pretty badly. Uh, this one was tramp number five of the year. Yep. And the weather was, was supposed to be pretty mint. And it was out in an area called Lake Summers. What day was this? Friday, Saturday. Okay. So we, we we bailed on Friday, got up there. It's about a three-hour drive, a lot of cross-country driving. Luckily, my mate had, had a proper four-wheel drive because it was it was a doozy drive in. Yeah. And then we went off and did our first day. It was um, eight hours of solid walking, um, yep. lots of river crossings and stuff. Camp just set up camp in this little valley. I was in a tent, and my mates were in a um, couple of bivy bags, yep. which is like a cocoon. And I was, it started to get cold quite quickly. And um, and I, I had, didn't take a particularly good sleeping bag. Um, I should have taken one of the other ones. I just grabbed the smallest one because I wanted to try to keep lightweight, thinking it was going to be a reasonably warm day. And I had a pretty shitty sleep during the night, and thinking I'm pretty cold. I got this got all my clothes on oh, wow. in my sleeping bag. And it's bag. horrible when you're cold out. <laughs> and I, I wasn't cold, but I was uncomfortable enough that I didn't sleep that much. And got up in the morning, grabbed my shoes, and my shoes were under my tent sort of tarp on the outside. And my laces were all frozen up. And I was thinking, oh, it's going to be pretty cold when I get go out there. Went out, and the guys had left their shoes outside, and they were soaking wet from because the, the day before we were walking through rivers the whole day. And we picked up their shoes, and they were rock solid, wow. like concrete. We had to boil water up to defrost them so they could actually get them on their feet. So what, you had to put them in, in water? I boiled oh. water in our little uh, little jet boil billy type thing, Jeez. and then defrosted their shoes, and we were like, we're out of here, we're not having any breakfast, we've got to warm up, and we'll get going, and, and, stop, uh, and, and stop and have some food, which was which was. And fine. were they cold in their bivouacs? No, they were, they were actually okay. Their sleeping bags were, performed a bit better than mine did, but it was, uh, it was probably about... I'd say about negative three at least. Um, yeah, it's pretty cold. decent frost. And a tent, you've basically got fabric around you. It's not like yeah. insulation. So it was a good time. So it was a beautiful walk. Um, if you want to sort of check it out, I did put it on my Instagram, the route we took. But is, there a, a, is there a um, bench? There's a, a hut. We walked past the hut, yep. but we didn't really want to stay in the hut. Hindsight <laughs> might have been such a bad thing. <laughs> but it was also on part of the Tiaraha Trail, which is uh, part of it was, which is where you can walk the whole length of New Zealand um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. on trails. And, and Would you love the, to do that? Uh, no, not really. I'd like to do bits. How long would it take you? Uh, it, a few months, It's a couple it? of months, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's, a, it's pretty popular. Yeah. Really popular. Someone I know was training to do it. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So that was my weekend. Did a bit of, bit of hiking. Funny thing happened to me on the weekend, John. Mm-hmm. Caught up to the tailors. Uh, went to Mumbai Walla. Mm-hmm. Do you do first table? No, you've said this lots of times. No, but you, no. you don't, if you're going out, friends do it. Yeah. You could go early, but who cares? Yeah. So you went to Mumbai Walla. You, you paid 10 bucks. And, mm-hmm. and so for a... All our food, I got an entree, a main, a dessert, mm-hmm. and drinks, and yoga, and it was like 60 bucks. Nice. No brainer. Yeah. But anyway, it means you go early and you're home by nine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. And then, uh, but I ordered my, I ordered the, the chicken. Butter chicken? Yeah, butter chicken, basically. Butter chicken. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so adventurous. <laughs> no, but the, the, the Mumbai well is a proper Indian place. Yeah. It ain't no bloody food court butter yeah. chicken. It's proper butter chicken. And I went mild, so I had a bit of kick, mm-hmm. you know. And then, but I also ordered the chicken beforehand, which is like, yeah, you know, it's kind of like 
fried chicken. Yeah. And uh, and I ordered it, and I'm, it comes out, fried chicken comes out, and I'm eating it first. And anyway, this isn't really fried chicken. <laughs> I was eating somebody else's meal. All right. <laughs> and then I go, yeah. I go the person, the, the waiter, is this the fried chicken? Said, no, no, this is the, the bubba dubba, whatever it was called. Bit of an unbaji or something? Yeah, the unbaji or something. I was like, oh, no, oh, Kate, did you order this? <laughs> <laughs> now, luckily, I probably had eaten a third of it. And luckily, she's not a big eater, and there was enough for her. Mm-hmm. I did offer her some of my buttered chicken, but she was. Nice. And her chicken was good as well. It's and good. then my fried chicken came out. So God, you're going to turn it to blow. You start laying eggs in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that was pretty fun times. And then, tell you what, day in the garden on, on Sunday. Oh, yeah. And uh, do you know what all of Christchurch we're doing on Sunday? Aerated your gut, your lawn yet? Because uh, it's hurt your hands. <laughs> right. I'm going to have a brown lawn because I can't handle a bit of pain well, in the hands. Because the first year I did it, I was like, I'm oh, doing it. And I did yeah, it. I did it. Yeah. The second year, year, you put gloves on. It takes forever because our lawn's quite big. And that was uh, your top tip for good looking lawns. No, but and also now we have to pay for water. Mm. I'm not into watering my lawn so much. I used to, <laughs> I'd put a river on my lawn every couple yeah. of days. So now I've kind of given up on trying to have a perfect lawn. Oh, right. You know? Interesting. Like, it's good enough, but it gets a bit dry over summer. Yeah, that's okay. I'm okay with that. Yeah, so... Save the planet. Save the water. That's right. So I'm not good for the planet. But um, did the green, went to the dump. Mm-hmm. I've never seen the dump so busy. Mm-hmm. You know Parkhouse Road? I don't go to that one, but yeah, I do. Well, it's got a yeah. long driveway. It's probably 700 metres from the road to the to mm-hmm. where you meet the, meet the person to sign in. Mm-hmm. It was out onto the road. Good. Hey, it was a long time waiting for mm. it done, but tell you, I rang Joe, said I'll see you at midnight. Yeah. Yep, so there you go. So that, that was my weekend. Off to Queenstown this weekend. Nice, bit of marathon action. Yeah, we've got the marathon, got the half marathon. Me, I just stand on the sidelines. Mm. Go, you're looking great. Yeah, you done this. <laughs> Literally what we do is we go to the start line, say, see you later, and go straight to the finish line. Because by the time you get there, 10K people were finishing. Mm-hmm. It's a good race. But it's interesting this year hasn't sold out. Right. Yeah, the half. Normally the half, like the marathon never does, mm-hmm. but the half normally sells out. Pretty quickly, so it's but mm. Queen sounds so expensive, mm. ridiculous. Mm. So it's hurting the race. Um, interesting fan. I, I just uh, fact of the week. Here we go. Fact of the week. You know how we've got the new Iron Man series, uh, pro pro sort of series. Yep. I figured out how they're going to pay for it. How are they going to pay for it? Um, because I found out what the entry fee is for for Kona next year. What is it going to cost you? What do you think it's going to cost well, you? When I went, it was a thousand bucks, and that was New Zealand twenty years ago. Yeah. So let's say ten percent inflation. So shit, shit. Well, if you went ten percent inflation, or if you went ten percent every year, I'm going to say two and a half thousand. You got two thousand six hundred forty-two dollars, New Zealand. Jesus. I'm guessing that's fifteen hundred US. That's your race entry. That's me out. I'm not. I'm never paying that. Wow. <laughs> so that's unfortunate for me. Because I, I would not pay that. For a if race. I get it. If you're going there once, a one only, one time yep. life experience, I'd go, fuck it. You just got to. You just. I wouldn't be happy, but I'm like, you got me by the balls. I'm going to go and do it just once. But for me, for a returning athlete, my motivation to go there is to have a really good race and just kind of conquer yep. it. Um, like, I'm out. Mm. That is a lot of money, isn't it? It is. You know, what would you if say? You, if you're earning squillions, who yeah, gives yeah. you, who cares? Yeah, but, but if you're. Average Middle wage. Average wage. What, what, That's what, it. what do you reckon it costs you to go Kona now for the whole experience? Oh, you're not getting any change out of 10 grand. Wow. Yeah. Easily. Because you've got two and a half there on, on entry fee. 
flights. Flights is going to be five, three k now. Uh, no, no, probably only two, maybe, okay. um, with it, with all that's involved with that and extra bags and stuff. Um, so then you're at sort of four and a half already. Then your accommodation. accommodation is astronomical, uh, and you've got to go if you're going from New Zealand. You've got to go minimum sort of ten days to give yourself at yep. least a chance, and you're going to do a few extra bits and bobs. So football. I'd, I'd be saying you'd be looking at ten, and that's probably just for yourself. You know, if you're taking anybody with you, I can't remember what it cost me because mm. I fundraised mine. Because mm. I was lucky, fundraised. One guy gave me a lot of money, which helped. And then my mum did fundraising like a legend, and it mm. really helped. Okay, John, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Indo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia, Kia car. car.